What's up, everyone? This is Hannah with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I am a physical therapist here in Charleston, and I am the new host of this podcast. This podcast is meant to give you the correct health and fitness information, along with spreading awareness of all of the different health and fitness professionals here in Charleston. I love being able to use this podcast as a way to meet all of those around me that are trying to make the world a better place. And my mission as a PT is to educate people and to empower them to take ownership and control of their health. This is season three of the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Healthy Charleston podcast. This is your host, Dr. Hannah Briel. I am a physical therapist and coach at Made to Move here in Charleston. On the show, we're a little biased towards changing the way we think about our careers, how our work affects our health outcomes, our quality of life, how to set better boundaries, how the nine to five isn't the best for most people. So when I was introduced to Chris, I knew he'd be a perfect fit for our show and for our vision. Chris is a certified rehab counselor, master level rehab counselor, licensed clinical mental health counselor associate, therapeutic coach, and owner and founder of Balance Consulting and Counseling. I'm shocked I said that without messing it up. I heard a TED Talk the other day with TED Radio talking about squiggly careers, how it's not all about going up the ladder anymore, how things have changed. Chris embodies that, and he was going up the ladder. He found himself lacking. He found himself pouring into others' cups, leaving his own empty, feeling unfulfilled. From working for the VA to resigning and creating his own agency to then going back to the familiarity of the VA to now creating his own COVID baby, He is doing his own thing full-time and getting his PhD. Chris has been able to transform his career instead of just taking it to the next step. Now, Chris uses his unique background to help both the individual and the agencies as a therapist and a vocational expert. So on this episode, we discussed work-life balance, what that really means and how to get started in creating a better work-life balance, viewing failure as feedback using work as a tool, where our society's view of work comes from, where that begins, cognitive behavioral therapy, how to leave work with energy and interest, and how to work to live and not live to work. So thanks, Chris, for coming on the show. It was awesome and a message that everyone needs to be reminded of. Everyone, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I am super excited for my special guest today. Get ready for this. Today we have Christopher Brigman, Certified Rehab Counselor and Master Level Rehab Counselor. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Licensed Clinical Mental Health Counselor Associate, Therapeutic Coach, and Owner and Founder of Balance Consulting and Counseling. You got it. Welcome, Chris. I'm so excited to have you here. Me too. Me too. This is really cool just to have this opportunity to reach the community. Yes. Yves and you are great people. Oh, thank you. Love hearing that. Boost me up, you know? So, can you tell me your story? Sure, sure. It's a... We have plenty of time. Perfect. Okay, yes. Good. I want the long version. No problem then. Um, so, I'm from a small town called Pillion, South Carolina. 
um, super, super country. Um, not a huge minority population with myself being black. That was kind of a reason I stood out and reason, you know, I made really good friends, family members, um, would come through and just try to support me as much as they could. Um, teachers were really good too, for the most part. Um, I left there, um, graduated in 04 and went to Coker College, now Coker University in Hartsville, South Carolina to get my degree in psychology. Um, didn't really understand where it was going to take me. You know, I kind of just, you know, got good grades, worked a couple of jobs and figured it out. And from there, I graduated and started in the social work program at the USC School of Social Work. Um, realized there that I was, again, one of the only black males, not necessarily in a racial sense, but more from a male-female aspect. There were a lot of other black females there. And, you know, as much as I wanted to help, I feel like I felt like at that time that I wasn't as heard as I needed to be. Um, and I felt like there was a different way I could reach everybody at that point. So I transferred over to a vocational rehab master level program at the School of Medicine. Oh, um, so you changed degrees. Oh, okay. Yeah, completely. Um, I just decided to switch over. They were that mean to you? It was it was like not really mean um, because they could tell that I was probably a product of what they experienced hmm. as black females. Um, you know, you know, bad marriages, bad relationships, things like that. But it was really hard to drive a point home that I'm a good guy, you know, and I'm I'm actually doing the right thing. And it just got tiring mm-hmm. in class. So like trying to prove yourself. Correct. So yeah, I, I branched out. Um, well, actually, a lady came in and said they had scholarships. And I was like, I don't have to pay for school anymore. <laughs> and I can get out of here. <laughs> See ya. But um, it was cool because the classes still overlapped. So we were still in the same classes, but I was just going down a different path. And at the same time, I got a job at the Department of Veteran Affairs in Columbia and started off in the call center, which was Ooh. rough. Mm. So bad. You were calling people? Every day, 80 people for three to four, four years. Yeah. Oh, man. I learned everything there is to know about the VA hospital. Oh, my gosh. VA Benefits Office, National Cemetery uh, Association. Like, every one of them. I could spout all facts so in my you sleep. just sat there and you called people. All day. So you put in some grunt work. Oh, my gosh. It was ridiculous. What were you calling people about? Benefits, mm-hmm. um, resources that they could use. I mean, it was really cool because you'd have widows. You'd have um, veterans that were just incredibly disabled that didn't know anything about the VA. Mm-hmm. And you would just plug them with information fax them information, sometimes when it was approved, email them information, answer emails. I mean, it was just a grind. You were kind of the promoter. Basically. Of being like, hey, did you know that you can get help? Like, it, let me show you the way. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, the number was like 1-800-827-1000. Oh my God, <laughs> the way that you, you just could say it. You do? Yeah. I have so many more. <laughs> oh man, I bet you've said it like a million times at this point. Yeah. But, but the coolest part was, is just working with those people and meeting, you know, them over the phone gave me a chance to kind of like test my abilities, the things I was learning in counseling, Mm. you know, the motivational interviewing, the looking for cues or gems, the the silence that you give between therapy to allow people to to digest the information and then develop you a better response, you know, that's not as emotional, but still tells you what they need. So that was a lot of good practice. And that was at the same time I was in the program. So I was learning as I was going through it. And when I graduated, um, well, actually, right before I graduated, the VA decided to promote me a couple of times, and I got a position as a minority, elderly, homeless, and incarcerated veterans coordinator. 
So I would go to all the cities in South Carolina and I'm going to the homeless shelters and the alleys and stuff and I would just go looking for vets, you know, that were disabled and didn't know about benefits or they were scared because it was the government. Mm. And I would, you know, say, Hey, you know that this is a benefit you can get. Help them file out the claim, fill out the claim, walk them through the entire process, um, make sure they knew where to go and who to contact, then let the VA know about them. And I did that for about a year and a half until there was a position that opened up overseas as a overseas military service coordinator in Italy. Ooh. And I was like, Oh my god, I want that job. Yeah. I want that job. So, you know, I put my name in the hat, you know there was a lot of um inner office competition. Politics. Oh yeah. yes, politics. A lot right. of people wanted it. I oh yeah. Can see why Italy. What part of Italy? It was in Aviano. And is that where the base Yeah, the Aviano Air Force Base. Is okay. at the base of the Italian Alps. Oh my gosh. That was amazing. Yeah. But um, being in that on that base and handling that area and that jurisdiction, I had to cover um, Portugal, Spain, and Italy. Oh, you poor um, thing! I know. Right? So you got the job? Yes, I got the job. Yeah. You know, um, did my little dance on the desk after everybody oh, left the office. That's um, funny. But yeah, I, I get over there, and the veterans are no different. You know, they need the same help. Sometimes it was worse because they were coming straight out of the field. You know, to uh, for R and R at the base. So they would have these these stories that are here. I mean, fresh, you know, nothing lost in memory. And they would just line up what they did. And I would, you know, kind of do the, a little bit of counseling there. But I would hold briefings to let them know, you know, this is how the benefits work. I did the uh, TAPS briefings. Um, it's basically a transition assistance program for vets to come back to the States and get assimilated back into civilian life. Mm-hmm. And that's where the whole voc rehab kind of played in because... If you're, if you're an individual who has a disability, mental or physical, and you're trying to get back to working again and being on a regimen, it's really hard to remember how to get up every day at 8 and stay in a job for 8 hours and come back home, which started me, it started my, I guess, it, I, I became more inquisitive about that process and, and how it's not working. Hmm, like, why are we doing the things that we're doing? For 8 hours. With, <laughs> I, I gotta raise my hand to go to the bathroom type oh, of thing. Oh, man. So, of course, me and the vets, like, real clicked. Mm -hmm. Um, They were just so, so welcoming at every base. Um, I did that for uh, about 12 months. Not not 12 months. I think it was 11 months I did that. Came back, graduated with the master's. Um, Oh, that was a part of your schooling? No, I actually had to take a break. Oh, wow. Sorry, I skipped that part. Oh, you've jumped around. I know. My brain is trying to, like, track everything (laughs) right now. But, um, yeah, so I did that. um, Came back, graduated. Um got another promotion but because the program is rehabilitation mental and physical it also encompasses the therapeutic aspect and the adaptation or accommodation aspect so with the therapeutic aspect I could sit for my licensed counseling position and I went ahead and did that um, or my licensed counseling license or whatever Mm -hmm. I just repeated myself yes (laughs) But um, once I did that, um, more opportunities opened up in the VA. Um, and it's a huge organization. It's one of the biggest. I think it's second to the DOD. So there's every type of the job VA. you can imagine. Yeah. yeah, it's like a city. It's like its own little world. Definitely. You know, and it's everywhere. Every state, mm-hmm. almost every country. So um, I was able to apply for a counseling position. So I moved to Myrtle Beach, um, which was interesting and fun at the same time. Yeah, what part in. of Myrtle? The Dirty Myrtle. No. Myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, it was uh, Market Commons, the old Air Force base. Mm. Yeah, so I lived there for a while. Um, really nice place. Um, I was there at the VA 
operating in a clinic, but it was an offshoot. So it's called um, vet the vet centers. It's a place where veterans can go, and it doesn't really feel like a doctor's office. Right. Yeah. Right. But I was a readjustment counseling therapist, and I would see caseload was pretty large. It was like. 120 vets, you know, but they were spread out. Okay, I was like, oh, we? So you had groups too. Okay. So, you know, they were kind of stacked in there. But again, that was kind of like the next evolution to like sitting with a vet, having Mm -hmm. them tell me everything. And a vet's going to tell you everything about civilian life and military life. So it was like double whammy. I was learning all these things and I was really plugged in, but it was just exhausting because it was was so new to me. Um, I stayed there for, I think, two and a half, three years and decided to take a position in Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, nice. Which was beautiful. Lovely. Yeah, <laughs> oh love gosh. Asheville. Oh, it was amazing. Um, around that time, I met my wife. Um, we started getting serious. We moved up to Asheville. Um, I uh, brought her back down here, proposed. In Charleston? Yeah. Oh. At a, a coffee shop. I can't remember. Oh. I don't think it's open anymore. Leaf. Leaf? Where was that? It was downtown. I can't remember the street it was on. When was that? 17. It was oh. New Year's Eve. Oh, that's so cute. How was it already closed? Oh, it shut down quick, man. Oh. We came back to go to it again and it was not there. Oh, is there something else in its place? I don't even think it's... Uh, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, I might have to rent that out and put my office in there. Oh, my... <laughs> that, yeah. So sweet. serendipitous. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we, you know, we got um, engaged, moved back up, or went back up. Um, you know, I'm working with the VA up there as a vocational rehab counselor. And... That was a job, I'm going to tell you. This is in Asheville? It's in Asheville, okay. yeah. Um, so while in Asheville, I'm there working. Uh, caseload is huge, easy 280, 300 uh, clients. You know, I'm working with veterans that have all manner of conditions or disabilities, wanting to do all types of different types of jobs, go to different schools. I had to visit all of the schools in Western North Carolina that my veterans went to. I had to go to most of their employers, um, tons of meetings, and manage a portfolio or well, the finances for paying for the school as well. This is a lot of work. Yeah. Not only are you like seeing all of these people, but you're also having to go to the schools, manage. Definitely. You're newly married, living in Asheville. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so again, that nine to five work life mm-hmm. came into play and I was like, this just isn't healthy. And I couldn't put my finger on it because I had been trained for so long by my mom being such a hard worker, my granddad being such a hard worker, my grandma. I'm supposed to be in a... This is it. This is what I live for, right? Yeah. Right. You go to college, you graduate, you work nine to five. Definitely. And through meeting some of these veterans and seeing the way that they try to manipulate this concept we have of a work-life balance, I was like, I could do that. But I, I was still scared, of course. Um, until I reached the point of breaking. Um, I kind of just had a moment. And I looked at my wife. I was like, I, I can't. Like, I, I need to do something else. I don't know what it is. I don't know how I'm going to do it. So we, I, I resigned. And when like, was that? Know, I resigned in two. So I resigned in 2017. We moved mm-hmm. up there in 2015. Um, I resigned and I said, you know, let's just move back to Charleston. You know, let's let's live there. That's where I wanted to be. You know, her parents were like, come on back. You know, we can see that this is a struggle for you. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to assimilate into this world. And it's funny because my wife started working in the VA at the same time. Oh. And she was more of a free spirit. She's a. Um, contemporary ballet dancer so she danced for a company here called dance effects oh, okay yeah um, and her friend jenny brill opened up a new studio um called um 
dance lab. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sarah Mack. Do you know Sarah Mack? Yes. And Taj? Yep. Oh, man. I love Small that. Small world. So we, um, maybe by the time this post, our music video will be out there. But cool. if you can picture Eve twerking. No way. Yeah. I so can we, see it, yeah. Uh, we got Sarah Mack to come here on a Sunday, and we did a music video. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, it told. is a small world. Dude, yeah. I figured you you guys knew her, but I was like, I was going to wait to kind of talk with you. But Yeah. So, yeah. And, I mean, all of her friends were so welcoming, too, when we got back. You know, they were just super sweet. Um, we got back here, and... I was depressed, you know, I, I had left what I thought was supposed to be my life. And, you know, her mom kind of sat down with me and was like, look, you know, you're doing great. You know, this is, this is a move, you know, this is a change. We went through changes too. You're going to go through changes. We got you. And we stayed there for about six months, which is so gracious of them. I mean, I couldn't have asked for anybody to be any nicer, but it was time to go. <laughs> Six months of living with your, not even your parents, your in-laws. And it wasn't even them. It was just yeah. me and my pride, my stupid mm-hmm. pride. Um, I understand. Yeah, you were like, I'm supposed to do this. I should have my own right. life. It sounds like y'all are really close, though. We are. The fact that like she could sit down with you and have that conversation. Oh, it was great. Like, my mom had done those things before, but to have somebody else that got to be that close, mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. Oh, wow. Like, okay, people care. And then... I don't know what happened. It just things clicked, and I started my um, my agency. I went through the LLC. I went ahead and made sure my licenses and my certifications were up to date. You know, I reached out to companies to see if they needed any contract work. Um, got on with one company to do some contract work and expert testimony in federal cases for disability. You know, people getting injured on the job didn't work out. Um, so I was like, yeah, it's a bad idea. And you know, I kind of went through another little, another little slump. And at that point, I was like, I'm married. I need a job. I need to make sure I support and provide. So I went back to the VA, and I, at that point, 10 years in. Mm-hmm. So they were like, come on back. Yeah, come on. This is easy. We still have your stuff on file. Welcome so back. Jump right back into the fire. Oh, man. So you went like pendulum swing. Yeah, because of that multiple fear. times. Yeah, it was like, I don't have anything, so I must go back to what I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. And that was the battle that, you know, a lot of people had told me what happened. Mm-hmm. So I got back in there, and I actually had a pretty good job it was um administrator on duty um at night um i was basically running the entire hospital making sure it ran smoothly you know i wasn't like the boss of anybody but when mm-hmm. things needed to happen they brought it all to me so it went from you know managing the nurses making sure they were on staff it was you know if a veteran passed away escorting his body going to meet the family um somebody like was hurt outside making sure they got in accepting ambulances i mean it was just all kind of things, but it was so interesting the way it operated, and because the quiet or the hospital was quiet, mm-hmm. it's at night. I was working twelve-hour shifts, so I was able to kind of just see the process work and the VA like you know interact with stuff. And I was like, "This is nice. I like this part of the job." So even though it was twelve hours, that was crappy. Yeah, <laughs> I hated that, but it, it it showed me what I thought the VA was going to be when I first started working for them. Okay, and what I knew it could be, but. After that, you know, I, I was like, okay, well, maybe this hospital's different. Maybe this VA's different in my perspective, in my experience. For other people, it may be great, and mm-hmm. they may enjoy that. But just for me, I had something else in mind. So I um, moved up to the next – or I applied for another position and got promoted to a position as the human resource um, supervisor of recruitment and placement. And that was super interesting. I learned a lot um, that human resources is not what you think it is. What is it? It is an entity that protects the agency. Mm. more so than the employee. Not, yeah. I mean, not that they don't help employees, 
but you know they're there because of the agency they just mm-hmm. want to make sure everybody there operates efficiently uh, they collaborate well you know there's no issues or problems mm-hmm. but I was more of a person that wanted to be um, for the employee right you yeah. know I, they would come and they would sit with me and tell me their problems and I would say okay this is who you need to see this is where you need to go more of an advocate mm-hmm. um, when people would come in I was managing all of the employees that came or the, the new employee orientation for everybody that came in the VA so I had a team of like six or seven and you know it was just a little bit chaotic um, for me um, you know I'm sure there's somebody out there that it would fit perfect but for me it wasn't the spot I needed to be um as far as a new supervisor. Um, so again, I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm really going to do this thing. I'm going to leave. And right around that time, COVID hit. I don't know if you've heard of her, but COVID. Right. Yeah. She, oh my gosh, man. Um, it was ridiculous. Uh, COVID hit and I didn't want to get anybody sick. I didn't want to get my wife sick. Um, she had already left to work at MUSC. Um, so she was enjoying her job, you know, because she decided like, <laughs> I'm not doing this VA crap anymore. Mm, okay, so she had left yeah. the VA. Yeah, yeah. She decided that the VA wasn't the best fit for her, you know. Mm-hmm. And she found a wonderful job at MUSC. Um, she's in translational research. So they talk a lot about vaccinations, viruses, epidemics. Oh, so she was in the know. So I'm yeah. getting all the information from her while I'm working uh, at HR. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, because you're with people all the time. Yeah, you know. A lot of people. Definitely. And, you know, it was time to make that move, to make that change. And I decided to leave. Um, I resigned once again. <laughs> and after that, I opened up my agency, uh, Balance Consulting and Counseling. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. Your COVID baby. My COVID baby. You said mm-hmm. that. I didn't even think about it like that until you mentioned it. Such a fitting name. But um, so I got there um, or got to opening the company or agency. And whenever I started, I began working with a company that contracted me to do the expert testimony work that I tried to do the first time. And it was an amazing experience. It still is, actually, because I'm still with them. But I basically sit in court and provide testimony um, to justify the opportunities in the job marketplace. Statistics, I you know present information to the judge about those issues and conditions. And it's just it's super enlightening. To realize how many jobs in the economy are still there and which ones are gone. I mean, the Bureau of Labor or the uh, Department of Occupational Titles is a book that, so it's supposed to house every job there is, right? But it wasn't updated since like the 70s oh, or God, the 80s. No. So no. to like have to translate that for people. Um, so you had to like rewrite the book? Well, I do it every, well, two, three times a week. You know, because the judge will just pose these hypothetical questions. Oh, you are doing this like, ev- like every week. Mm-hmm. You're going, so you're going into court. Mm-hmm. Well, it's virtual. Okay, virtual court, which right. I'm sure is so exciting. <laughs> and like, what brings on these conversations? So, if somebody's disabled from work, right? Okay, and they're like, "What can this person do?" Basically, I and know. I look at the medical records, I look at everything, and I kind of just form a expert opinion mm-hmm. on the information that I've gathered. You know, I digest it for the, the, the judge. The judge is already well um, informed. Um, most of the time they have medical backgrounds too. Mm-hmm. But the statistics of the opportunities, vocational opportunities, employment opportunities that exist in the in economy, that's what I tell them. So we, you know, we'll talk about the different ways that they move in the workplace. And can they sit for a certain amount mm-hmm. of time? Can they stand for a certain amount of time? Can they bend over? Can they squat? Can they reach? 
with both hands, one hand, you know, with fingers, dexterity, you know, do they have vision problems, um, even emotional and um, behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. So it's just this great way of reminding me of the vocational rehab. Oh degree. my gosh, yeah, like everything that you have done has oh, led yeah. you to be able to do this job perfectly. Oh, because awesome. you have so much knowledge, like vocational, veterans, rehab, counseling. That you can like not only look at the person and be like, okay, well, they don't have a left leg. It's like all, it's it's everything. It's holistic. It's whole body. Exactly. I didn't even know this was a job. Me neither. Um, they mentioned it briefly during my master's program, okay. but it's, the field is so small. Yeah. You know, so when I reached out, this lady saw my experience. She was like, oh, come work for me. Oh, so you reached out to her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was hungry when I left the beat. Mm-hmm. I was like, I will not fail. That's not going to happen again. Yeah. So I went out and I I hunted these jobs. I let them know, like, hey, these are my skills. Do you want to work with me? And she was like, yes, let's do this. And jumped on. She was amazing for the transition. So welcoming. Her name was Marilyn Stroud. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Stroud Vocational uh, Experts. Great. Is that here in Charleston? No, she's out of Alabama. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's virtual. You can work anywhere. Yeah, that's true. That's a perk. So... This allows you to do something similar that you were doing, like when you were working for human resources, someone would come to you and like lay it all out and you were like, this is who you need to go see. This would be good for you. This is what you can do. Like you still get to do all of that. Exactly. That's cool. I didn't even know that was a job. Definitely. But then at the same time, I'm uh, holding a contract with the Department of Labor um, as a rehab counselor, a vocational rehab counselor. The same thing I was doing for the VA, but not as intensive. So people will call me or I'll get a case. And this individual is disabled and can't work. So I basically walk them through the process of determining if they can work and how to apply for jobs, how to build their resume, how to get them in front of employers type of thing. Um, But all this is while considering their conditions and disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other contract that I have is working with um, a vocational evaluation company out of L.A. Um, So I do evaluations for professional athletes. Oh. Which is so cool. Um, they're, How'd you they're, get that? I, yeah, I was hunting. Yeah. I was hunting. That's cool. Um, so I reached out to this company um, back in 17 when I first got to Charleston, and it didn't work out with time and schedules, but once I reached back out to them and told them, you know, that I'm ready to go, you know, that I'm wide open, they are like, yeah, and it's been an incredible experience as well. Um, so that's been wonderful. Um, at the same time, I'm still the... Well, I'm actually in a PhD program. Quite busy. <laughs> to yeah. get my um, degree in industrial organizational psychology. Ooh. So it's all full circle. Okay. So it, it's, people would think that's busy, but everything I do provides me material to write about. Mm-hmm. So I get a chance to kind of like digest everything. It's all it interrelated. It is. And it makes it a lot easier to go to work when I haven't like done something completely different over here. And I'm mm-hmm. coming back and I'm like, oh. I don't mess up and slip and say, oh, hey, I was managing somebody in the nursing department today and yeah. now I'm over here in engineering. It's oh, all over Oh, yeah. So the degree, your PhD, mm-hmm. industrial organizational... Psychology. What does that mean? So basically it's a culmination of what I'm doing now. Um, it looks at individuals um, and companies and agencies and you try to create a healthy and supportive work environment despite conditions, barrier, vocational barriers and disabilities that prevent people from assimilating back into the workplace workplace or finding the perfect spot that they feel most 
appreciated. Um, it helps to teach uh, leaders and you know stakeholders how to be more transformational instead of transactional. Mm. Um, oh, tell me about that. What does that mean? So transformational leadership is more of a collaborative process. You know, you are learning things from your employees as well as teaching them, and you're doing it with them. Um, it's more we're learning and growing together. You're transforming. Um, transactional leadership is more you do this for me, mm-hmm. and then I'll do this for you. So if you get good marks or if you accomplish this task and give me this deliverable at this time and this date, mm-hmm. then I'll give you a raise or I'll give you extra leave. I'm not transactional. Yeah, transformational is more like you, you're a team and you're working towards the same goal or similar goals. And that's what these companies that I've found and discovered are. They're just transformational. As we learn and grow and find out new things in the economy, especially the job market because it's changing. Oh, yeah. We start to, you know, I'll get an email from them. They're like, have you seen this? And then we'll have a big meeting about it. We'll talk about it. We'll dig into it. We're like, how would a person with a disability have to deal with something like this type of a change? And you learn and grow. And then I write a paper about it. And I come back and give them that information. And they're like, oh, I didn't even, thanks for providing me. That's transformational. So you work with companies now, too. So that's the goal. That's the goal. So that's my next question. What will this degree, how will that change what you do now? So the hope is that I will be able to work with companies to develop a more transformational relationship between them and their employees while understanding that each of these employees need a work-life balance. Oh, this is amazing. I love this. This is awesome. This is so exciting. It's it's again my COVID baby, so it's a little. It, it looked a little weird because it was born during COVID. Yeah, that's okay. It's working. That's okay. It's still a beautiful baby. <laughs> right. But um, so I mean, the goal would be to you know be able to let these companies know that I can help them to develop that transformational style, leadership, employees, environment, but also let them know that each employee may have conditions or disabilities that you're not aware of or barriers to employment and how to address those barriers to employment to get the most out of your employee and to give your employee the most. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the grand scheme of what I will accomplish once the degree is completed. Um, I've worked with a few small companies just to kind of like give them advice and pointers, Mm -hmm. but I really want to have a PhD to finish that up. Um, And outside of all that, I am a licensed clinical mental health counseling associate, so I do um, have a practice where I see clients, um, primarily um, younger black males um, or other minorities, and really anybody, but the people that have been calling me Mm -hmm. have been in that demographic because I am the only black male counselor in the area that I've seen. If anybody else has seen something, yeah, please tell me. Yeah, if you're listening to this, please reach call out. Call me. Because, I mean, I came to Charleston going through all this, mm-hmm. looking for a therapist, a black mm-hmm. male therapist, and couldn't find anybody. So I was like, I if I can't find it, I know no one else can. So I need to reach out and let people know I exist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my thought was this is going to maybe give me one or two clients. It's not going to be that busy. COVID hit, and it was like, boom, like people were calling. And I was just... Not really inundated, but just busy. And it was so interesting to be able to talk about other people's stressors that they experience in the workplace as well. Um, while, or after having made this jump on my own and studying psychology at the same time, because therapy is still woven in there. And it just 
really opened up a whole new way of living for me. So, I mean, literally the model of my company is um, don't live to work, work to live. You know, your job should be a thing that fuels your life. You should not wake up in the morning thinking, I am this employee. I am a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. I'm a counselor. I'm a therapist. I'm a, a trainer. No, no. That's a part of you. And that's kind of the same mindset when it comes to disabilities. You don't wake mm-hmm. up in the morning and say, I have autism. I have depression. I have anxiety. And be defined no, by that. I am Chris and I, I suffer from anxiety. I suffer from depression. It, it doesn't... It's a part of you. It's not you. It's not it. Exactly. And it's something that you can deal with. You know, we can all... Mm-hmm navigate around we can all be very mobile as far as where our life is going to take us we just have to be willing to trust our instincts um, and sometimes take the jump you know failing is not failing failing is failing are when you fail it's their lessons mm. they're, they're teaching moments they become mistakes when you repeat them mm, I like that I always say it's not failure it's feedback yeah. Oh, I love it. And I, I, I always have wanted that from people. I Ever since I was little, you know, being the person that kind of stuck out, I've always wanted people to tell me how they see me. Because I didn't have an idea of what I should look like as a young black kid, young black teenager, young black man. So when people would talk with me, it was so interesting to see, like, how they perceived me. How they me. viewed you. Right. It was almost like you were getting your identity from them. Exactly. And that drove me into working for this agency for 11 years. Hmm. Where I was like, this is my identity. I can say this I work for the VA. And people yeah. were, I'm proud of you. You're helping our vets. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help the vets regardless. <laughs> like, that's what they, they're my dudes. Like, I'm, vets are it, you know? But I wanted to identify myself as Chris first. So, you know, all these titles and things that I've mentioned, the company, it's great. And I love that people are reaching out and wanting to work together. But the thing I tell my clients when they call and I give them that, you know, 15 minute free consultation, I tell them, I say, you know, I'm a, I'm just a regular person, man. We're going to sit and chat. You know, I'm going to definitely throw some clinical jargon at you, you know, some therapeutic techniques so that you can build your toolbox. But just know at the end of the day, this is an unbiased view at what you're going through. And I'm here to help you navigate that. We're on a train going to a destination that you want to go to. And I'm just pointing out the stops that we need to go through. Like, hey, we, we just thought of this one. This is a nice place. <laughs> oh, I like this one. Let's get out. Right, yeah. <laughs> and we're all navigating this journey together. It's just that on different legs of that journey, we all need different things. Exactly. I like that. How long did it take for you to, one, like, figure out your identity for you from you rather than other people? So it was coming back to Charleston when I quit the first time. When I resigned the first time, I'll say that. That's a better way. But when I resigned the first time and I started the business up and nothing happened. I was like, what the? What did I? I'm not doing this right. Like people weren't flocking to you. Yeah. And, you know, then that fear came in. And when that fear came back was when I knew that it wasn't me. But I, I still didn't know how to separate that from myself. Like take away that fear of being a failure, that fear of not having a job, that fear of not being able to support my wife. I was like... That's, that's not who I am. So I had to kind of encompass that and, and take that and, and keep that with me. So I could, anytime I came back close to being afraid or feeling like I couldn't be successful, I had to remind myself, 
I don't need to experience that fear. I was without it for a few months. I know I can live mm-hmm. without this fear. And my second, I guess, stint in the VA was completely different. Like I, I moved differently. I responded to people differently. I was more confident and people could tell. So people responded differently. So I was like, wait, here it is. And I kind of got into a rhythm. And right when I left, that's when I knew that I couldn't go back and I was different because that fear was gone. It was a whole new fear, (laughs) (laughs) COVID and starting a business, Mm -hmm. but that fear was more exciting. It was like that anxiety. I want to take this on. Right. Right. It was like getting on a roller coaster. I was about to say it was a roller coaster. It was. Which I am incredibly claustrophobic of now, by the way. I didn't realize. Roller coasters? Yeah. I used to ride them all the time. Me and my wife would do this. Yeah, I haven't been on one in years, and I'm wondering, like, how I would respond to them now. Because I used to love them. When did you... When were you on one recently? No, it was, like, a couple years ago. Oh, oh, I, of course, haven't been on one since. Yeah. Because of that reason. Claustrophobic? Like, even on an open one? I could not believe it. Yeah. I'm the daredevil. And I got on it, and I started breathing deep. My wife's like, I'm so much wrong. I'm like, no, it's nothing. Nothing. I got back on it. I freaked out. I had to get off. Oh, no. Where were y'all at? Disney World. Oh. Twin Dueling Dragons or something like that. Oh, my God. Wait. That's Universal. Universal. Sorry. We is went it to, um, near the Harry Potter world? It is. So, Harry Potter's my joint. That's my I jam. love Harry Potter. That's my jam. Yeah. I'm a nerd, by the way. Love that. So, when you kind of formed your own identity, sure. is that when you realized for yourself what work-life balance was? Because your whole, a lot of your career was like, you didn't have that. Right. And now you, you are preaching that. Good question. When did that happen? So it wasn't a light switch. You know, it didn't just click on. I had to really figure that out. Um, kudos to my wife for being super strong and a rock and supportive. Because there are times where it was just like, you were working a lot. And I was like, well, I have this so much free time now. She's like, that doesn't mean you have to work during that time. I was mm-hmm. like, you're right. Like, Ooh, what am yeah. I doing? What am I doing? So I sat down with her and we developed a calendar. Um, and I blocked out my week and I said, on oh, these days I'm going to do this. On oh, these days I'm going to do this. And here's when I have free time. This is when I can write, you know, about my dissertation. And this is when I can see clients. And even with that calendar, I still have more free time than when I worked in the federal government and HR department where I was managing over, I think it was like 20 different departments that were bringing in. 40 new employees every two weeks. I mean, it was chaotic. Did you have any free time then? You go to work, you get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner, you shower, you go to bed. You would think, but because of the stress from the job, you're exhausted right mm-hmm. after. So there's no work-life balance. Yeah. You crash right after and I'm writing papers at like midnight because I mm. have to sleep after work to get the energy to write. Okay, so you would come home and you'd go to sleep immediately. Yeah. Oh, crash. And then you would wake up yep. and write. Yep. And then would you go back to sleep? You'd try. Oh my God. you try. And it like, was... Every, that's like everyone. Like everyone is doing this. Oh, yeah. Why? First, firstly, like sure. what is work-life balance? How would you define that? So work-life balance is different for everybody. You know, some people would say there's no such thing. You know, I, I personally think it exists. And it's a balance to where you are using work as a tool. So you're going to work. And as you get off work, you have the energy and interest and, like you said earlier, capacity to give to your kids, to spend time with your kids, to want to do interesting and new things with your family and or yourself. That is a balance. It's different for everybody because some people may not have kids. Some people mm-hmm. may have a baby. Some people may be just getting into a new relationship. Some people may be playing intramural football. You know, I've got a couple of clients that 
have extracurricular, extracurricular activities and they found a way like this has to happen on this day. Mm-hmm. That's a good work-life balance when it comes to that. But then you also have to look at the emotional part. You know, while at work, how how do I how how am I interpreting the interactions that I experience on a daily basis? Are they transactional mm. or are they transformational? Am I growing from this? Are we growing from this? Or am I doing this so that I can get this from you or get you to leave me alone? Mm, that's a lot of bosses and workplaces. Exactly. And I think that's most of what I think a work-life balance should be. And again, like I said before, balance is different for everyone, but control is really what you have to have. Because in, in a big agency like the VA, you're a cog in a machine. Mm-hmm. Your slave, they, feels like. Right. What your slave to corporate. What happens when a tooth on a cog breaks? They replace it. Mm. Very easily, too. Grease up the next one, put it in. Right? See how long it lasts. And I mean, not to down anybody doing anything like that, you know? Some people have found that balance in that type of a job, but there are a lot of people that haven't. Mm-hmm. And they want to have somebody to talk to about that thing. And and that's what I want to create. I don't care if it's 100 clients and I'm super busy and making hundreds and thousands of dollars. No, I just want to talk with people that went through the same thing that I went through and help them develop new patterns and, and routines, you know, maybe a little cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, maybe some, you know, solution-focused therapy. Um, you just have so many, like, resources and tools in your toolbox right. to be able to give this person whatever they need. To, exactly. And it's not even, like, like, you're not finding people jobs. Like, you're finding people's quality of life because you're helping them find a job that mm-hmm. supplies work-life balance that isn't, that they're not a cog in a wheel. They're not like, okay, well, you're just going to do this nine to five for the rest of your life. Like you're, you're helping people actually live their life. Exactly. Exactly. It's like pretty powerful, especially because we don't do that well here. Why? I'm sure you have thought about this like day in and day out. Like what I'm always thinking, why are we doing the things the way that we're doing them? We live in a capitalistic society. You know, it's all doggy dog. It's get yours, leave mine alone, stay away from mine, protect the domain. Like it's, it's like that. You know, and I mean that served us very well. You know, I mean as a country, we become really um, sufficient. People want to come here for that ability to do that, to create your own, and that's what helped me start my business because I was able to go out and hunt. But you can't work in an agency or in a business without other people. Mm-hmm. You need those people, right? So. The transformational part of it would be, yes, I'm going to help you get your own, but I'm going to show you how I did it. And and I, I find here, especially, that that is a very tough barrier to break through. Um, you got, Again, you guys have been great. I'm glad I met you guys and had this opportunity. But prior to just talking to people, trying to understand how to do this, how to start your own business and go through that process, you... you, you immediately go to, well, this person owns their own business. I'll ask them questions. Mm. And they're reluctant to share. They don't want to help. And it's like, why? Like, well, you're going to take my business. Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to do something completely different than you. It may be the same genre, topic, whatever, but you are you and I and me. People are going to choose you because Mm -hmm. of you. They're not going to choose you because you're the only one doing this. They're going to choose you because they like you. And they're going to choose me because they like me. If you help me now... Or don't help me. I'm still going to do this thing. It's transactional versus transformational. It's like, as an entrepreneur, do I view other entrepreneurs as a threat? Like, are they my competition? Or 
is it that the more people like me and like you that there are and the more businesses, like the better we grow together as a society, we have better health outcomes, we have less depression, we like all of these outcomes to me, like it seems with a transactional workplace, that is the kind of place, whether it's been like on a rotation, another job, whether it's been like my relatives or um, like friends' jobs, they're depressed, mm-hmm. they hate it, mm-hmm. they're stressed. It's like, you must do this for me and there's a deadline. I have mm-hmm. to work 16 hours to do this. And mm-hmm. and we celebrate that. Oh, oh, you worked 16 hours? Wow, you must you be doing so great hard. good. You know, you, you're a good employee. No, you're a, you're a cog in this machine. Why, why is our society, like other than the capitalist and like the transactional, why do we think, where do we get this idea that you must like work live to work you must work all the time like this well, is a, this is us this is our identity think about it in, in school right mm. you know we're in elementary school um, we're leaving to go there at 7 we're getting out at 3 every day we're trained to believe we, we leave class at a bell we come back to class mm. at a bell I mean robots that, it's honestly like a scary movie it is man it is lives. and it's so <laughs> difficult to do anything different and tell people that mm-hmm. you are secure professionally and then believe you when you're not working for a big agency oh you're not working for a big agency yeah okay you got your own thing yeah then I'm sure you're real successful right right you know especially if they don't understand it so when I tell people that I'm a vocational counselor they're like oh really that, that face I'm like <laughs> oh, whatever so man great for you Chris it, you, you have to be confident in what you're doing and not care if anybody believes it or not because the people that do want it or do need it they'll find you I am proof of that through COVID, through a pandemic, people looked and sought me out. Like, that right there made me, it, it gave me the confidence I need to, to know that what I'm telling people is valid. It's based in my experience. It's based in, you know, clinical research, empirical research. And I get mad at myself for not having done this sooner. Mm-hmm. Even though I wouldn't be here if I didn't have the experiences I did. But I'm like, I can help somebody get to this place faster. Or at least more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. With less, like maybe... Strife. Yeah, like less adversity. Like if the outcome is the same, but the time is different, like the years of quality that that person can have will impact them for the rest of their life. And the confusion will just... Because you'll, you'll know at this point, just like you would if you went to get your... your, your you're leaving high school to go to college. Mm-hmm. You know that transition. Mm-hmm. I got a summer before college. I got to chill and then mm-hmm. I start college. And even in college, I got breaks. That can be the mindset going into starting your own, your own thing, your own business, or finding a better job. Like, hey, you know what? I need about a month or two break before I start this new job. As I accept this new position, I'm going to tell you that I'm available two months later mm-hmm. so I can give myself time to transition and get my life mm-hmm. to where I need it to be so I can start and be great for you. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying... Leave on Sunday, start on Monday. Oof. Or leave on Friday, start on Monday. Like, that's what the VA did. I mean, mm-hmm. not VA in general, but I think every job. Yeah, m- most jobs, for yeah. sure. How most, soon can you start? Most jobs that aren't, like, entrepreneurial in nature. And it, sure. like, listening to your background, meeting you, like, your personality, the way that you went through <laughs> all of these different stages is, like, Totally, like you're obviously an entrepreneur. Like you were just not satisfied, yeah. And that it was like you love to work because you like putting in effort. You like feeling fulfilled. You have a lot of like things that you can help people with. 
but you would always, it was like you would hit a wall. Yeah. Because it, it's just not sustainable. It's just too much. And you, unlike a lot of people, you were like, I will not accept this. Right. A lot of people accept it. And they're like, I feel like this every day and that's just how it's going to be. And you were like, no, there's something better for me. Definitely. No. And, and I mean, just the way that it was set up. If you, through this talk, you didn't, you know, in, in explaining my career, you would think like, oh, you went through multiple jobs. Like, no, I got promoted mm-hmm. every time. So I was doing what I was supposed to do, and I was there, and I was getting great reviews from the people that I was helping, but I found myself lacking. Mm. So I'm pouring into their cup and leaving mine empty mm-hmm. every day, every day. And and you, you get to the point where you're like, I'm dry. You had a breaking point, right? Yes. What was your breaking point? The breaking point, I think, was... It was in Asheville. Um, I had to... Because um, I was an out-based vocational rehab counselor in the mountains, and the regional office was in Winston. So I had to mail documents to them every day, and just stacking up boxes and mailing them out, and just trying to get his here before this deadline. And when I knew we had like you know a better way to do it, and I'm just like, I can't, I can't, I can't keep digesting this way. You know, it's just almost like if you eat something that upsets your stomach. Mm. You like just that. keep doing it, and you're like, I just have to stop. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had like a stomach ache, you know, literally and figuratively speaking, every day. And my wife noticed it, and she could tell because I wasn't sleeping. And that's when we were like, yeah, this isn't for us. And she is, um, she started off as an entrepreneur, where, you know, contemporary dance mm-hmm. for dance life and stuff. So she knew, like, you can make money. Mm-hmm. You know, and support yourself and do what you love. I'm like, I've never seen that done. I'm from the country, you know, and, and like to a certain extent, like Charleston was like a bigger city. So, yeah. I mean, Columbia was big, but I didn't have like, this place is connected. Y'all know each other. Everybody does, man. It's like a mm-hmm. huge family. Um, but when she was like, no, you can do this. And she would introduce me to her friends that were doing it. And I was like, maybe I can. And I just kept talking to people, kept researching. I mean, I researched so oh, yeah. much. LinkedIn and me are best friends. For real. Like researching what others do? Researching what they did, how they did it. Like I would just get on the phone and have four or five meetings with people and just ask like, how did you do it? Like, okay, where, what are, what are things that you didn't, or what are things that you shouldn't have done? Or where are the pitfalls? Or, you know, how did you hit up this many people? Like, Mm -hmm. how did you build your network? Like just really stupid questions that I'm sure multimillionaires are like, duh. But for me, I was like, I have no mm-hmm. earthly clue or idea where to start. And these people have just been, again, I can't say enough about people like Yves, you, the you know contractors that I'm working with, the companies and stuff. They just were like, we see the ambition and that fire behind you. We know where we know where to put this. Mm-hmm. It's a train. We're all on the same train. It's just like exactly. we're gonna drive, and you're gonna drive, and we're gonna get off this stop. So you've always been interested in psychology. Like you said, you kind of grew up surrounded by it. Yes. And that was your degree. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, it's funny because a lot of people, I think, they're like, I'm just going to major in psychology. And then they go from there because yeah. it seems like there are a ton of avenues. Oh, so much. What made you initially so interested? Like, What made you choose that as a major? So my family worked at the Department of Mental Health in Columbia, South Carolina, Bull Street. The old middle hospital. Oh. Yeah. Used to be an asylum. Wait, yes. Because in my like um, psychology class that I was required to take, we 
um, like we learned about that. Exactly. It's like on the way to 77? Yep, Is that exactly. right? It's on the right? Yeah. Yes, okay. Yep, so it was the last, I think, mental asylum that it was in existence. I think. I could be oh, wrong. Um, I'll definitely do some research on that and get back to you. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure because when they closed, it was just this big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom worked there forever. My granddad worked there. My uncle worked there for a time. My aunt worked there. So, And then I had a, a I had an aunt who was mentally and physically disabled. Um, in birth, she had hydrocephalus mm-hmm. or developed it. And it, they, they had to put in a shine. She had pressure on her brain. Um, it just caused so many deformities um, and disabilities for her. But I've known her since I was like, a baby. So I didn't know anything was wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'd go over there, my grandma would babysit me, and I would just, not really, I, I didn't notice the difference until I got a little older, and I started thinking, like, can she get better? How, how can she get, you know, and, I, and I'm naive because I'm a little kid, but when I started studying psychology and I started understanding, you know, like, neuropsychology and neuroscience and, you know, more about um, neurological disorders, and then, when I researched hydrocephalus, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And I'm reading this at like 13, oh, 14. Oh, no. Mm. And I'm like, and my mom, she kind of noticed it. Mm-hmm. She was um, finishing up her registered nurse um, license. And she was like, you know, opening the books with the medical documentation mm-hmm. in there. And I'm helping her study. And I'm like, oh, that's what, you know, Aunt Sam had. And da 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 da. And she's like, yeah. And then after that, any class that mentioned disabilities, mental health, I was just like, Always interested. Just was crazy. I got into Coker, and like you said, you know, psychology was kind of a safe bet. You know, you can do a lot of things with that. Mm-hmm. But I had a couple of professors that were like, "These are the opportunities that exist." And this awesome librarian who her name was Melinda Diasi at Coker College. She I love was, how you remember the names. Oh, I never forget them. I especially the impact because I went in and I was like, "I want to go to, um, I want to go to Howard. I want to go to mm-hmm. HBCU." But I was like paying for it myself. And I was like, I didn't really know how to go about applying for master programs. She was like, well, you got to save up money. So I saved up some money. She was like, you got to apply. And she pulled out this big book before like, you know, I was really plugged into using the internet a lot. And it had all the colleges in it. And I went down, applied to everything I could, paid all my application fees and got accepted to a few of them. But then I think my... I think I, I was dating somebody. There it is. And that, that, that got me. And I was like, I can't leave the state. Oh, it's okay. I did state. the same thing. It's fine. Absolutely. I mean, high insight, it was good because I found book rehab. But... Exactly. Right. You can't discount it. You were, it was, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't. It was feedback. There and it go. got you where you are today. You said earlier, it was fate. Yeah. It was fate. But I mean, it put me there and, you know, it was kind of all she wrote. Like I just jumped right into learning about how to navigate um, one of the things I remember talking to, to the veterans about that I kept trying to implement myself is as you gain a skill realize that it's multiversal so it's like using a hammer to plot a nail to hammer a nail to pull off you know sheetrock from you know you so many different things you can do with that tool but you've got to start to flex it Learn how you can use that skill and that tool. And that was kind of the, the approach I tried to take to everything. And now, with this degree, it's, like, super easy to do that. Well, and that's what you help people do all day is, is figure out what are, their, what are their skills, what are the things that they're good at, right? And how can you 
optimize that. KSAs, knowledge, skills, and abilities. Oh, I was like, what is that? <laughs> a government term, man. If you ever write a resume, a government resume, you got to have your KSAs. I just hope I never have to write a resume again. On this path, I don't think I will. <laughs> you know what? I, I like them now. You like resumes? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, especially if they're well done. It's a mm-hmm. great way to understand who you're talking to and what their interests are. Because the jobs that they really enjoy, they're going to, you're going to understand what that job is by reading the description, you know, mm-hmm. but jobs that people are like, eh. Oh, you can kind of tell the way that they wrote it. Right. And that for me helps me to understand, okay, these are the things you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, through the evaluations I do, I have to go through every job these pro athletes have had and we talk about everything. And when we talk about these jobs, some of them, they're just, they light up, especially when they mm-hmm. play for these teams. They're like, Oh my God, I did this. I'm like, so at 8 a.m., what did you do? 9 a.m., mm-hmm. 10 a.m., you know, and these evaluations are like six to eight hours long. This is amazing. I want six to eight hours to do an eval. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I love it, man. I you go it. through like every aspect. Everything about this person. Everything. And most of the time, people don't have the opportunity to share that type of information with Mm-mm. people. So you get to learn like how their occupation has debilitated them. Mm. Because they're only there because they have a disability. So when you start to really talk to them and realize, like, damn, football messed you up. Like, for real, for real. <laughs> like, you see the hits on TV and you're like, oh, he hopped back up. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. It's so traumatic. You know about that. It's, yeah, right? <laughs> it's this, like this whole industry and your whole career can just, like. In, a, in an instant? And in a hit. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it, it honestly gets kind of dark because it's like we. Mm-hmm. People have these jobs because it's what we're entertained by. Right. I don't know. It's just modern like, day gladiators. It's not even like yes, they're athletes, but they're athletes for entertainment, especially like professional. Right. Like they're doing the sport so that we can watch them. That and I found out though that these athletes have passion for mm. what they do. I mean, they love what they do, and and to see that is the same type of passion you'll see in somebody who really loves a job. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk to somebody who's like. Um, he's a construction worker, you know, and he's explaining everything about, you know, um, cranes and the equipment that you use to build buildings and, and, and how you have to, you know, put it together and take it apart. And they just, I mean, details. And you're they're like, just like, wow, you're really excited about it. Right, and they're laughing and giggling. But you won't believe how big this thing was. And you're like, I love that stuff, man. Damn. And then something happens and they can't do this thing oh, anymore. It's, and again, it becomes it became their identity. Yeah. Ooh. So they're broke. So now they're like, who am I? Right. What do I do? Right. And uh, another good thing about, or not good, but interesting thing that I've learned is that the cultural difference between the worth of employment for people is so vast. Different cultures have different, mm. um, I guess. We prioritize it differently. Value it differently. Value it differently. We value differently. And, I mean, we all have high values for it, but the way that we place it in our lives as to who we are, oh, man, it is... That thought, that value is mm-hmm. invasive. It's almost like bamboo. It spreads. And it's every everything about who you are, and it pokes up everywhere in your life, and you're like, wait, I need to prune this back. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a dad. I'm a husband. You know, I'm a brother. I'm a great soccer player in the real leagues. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those things are so much more important because that job is not going to be there forever. You will, you'll be here for a lot longer. Mm. Well, what do the, you, the cultural differences, sure. what, 
were some of like the biggest differences, the biggest examples of that? Oh man, so um, people with Hispanic descent are just crazy hard workers. I mean, like to the point where they, I mean, will do anything to make sure the job is done and done right. Like, and and they that are like most entrenched in it. Um, I would say as far as African Americans they are just long, just longevity they're like just keep going keep going keep going keep mm. kill it kill it kill it every day just keep going don't even look up um, the Caucasians I spoke to are the same way but they have more of a um, they have more information and knowledge about how to go now that's despite some of them hitting glass ceilings, you know, mm-hmm. that they may not be aware of, but they're like, I know where I could take this. And they hit barriers and they're just confused about barriers, just like we all are. So it's like everybody has this drive that's driven by like us being a, you know, strong country. Um, but it's just strange to see how much they pour into their, their lives into this in, in every culture, mm-hmm. really. Um, those are just the experiences I've had so far. Um, not to take anything away from any of them because every one of them have been incredibly hard workers. It's just that we can form a different culture around mm-hmm. what we do for what we do to identify ourselves and who we do what we do for work or work culture. It can be different. Do you think a lot of this stems from like how much we value money? For sure, definitely. Well, power, not yeah. money. Power. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's it's um. It's, you, you, um, how can I say this? You are a more important person based on the occupation you have. If people know you to be something, it doesn't, it it matters what you do. If you're a bad person, you're a bad person. (laughs) But if you are a person that has your lawyer downtown Mm -hmm. Charleston. Like the respect, just from like hearing that. Right. You're like, oh, you must be blank. Yeah. And in certain communities, it's, you know, how long have you been working at your job? Mm. Oh, 10 mm-hmm. years. Oh, you're a consistent person. Like, why does that job make me a consistent person? Mm-hmm. Like, the way I treat you and the way I show up when we're around should mean that I'm a consistent person. And who I am, you know, should make me a consistent person. Not this job. Yeah. Um, it's like you said, like, the way that we value work. The way that we let it, like, we let it define us. Right. And that's... It, you're right. Like it, it starts from school. We go to school because we have a next step, and like in our, especially in our country, like now everyone is pushed to college when it really might not be the best thing for everyone. But you graduate high school. If you don't go to college, then you must not be this. Right. You must be less consistent. Right. You deserve less respect. Like those right. are some of the harmful narratives that I hear. You go to college. You have to graduate with this. Now you have to go to freaking grad school, dude. Well, one thing I've discovered too through folk rehab is that there's so many different avenues you can take. Mm-hmm. You got technical schools, you got certifications, you got licensures. You can get, you can get into the field of IT and make a hundred grand and not have to go to a bachelor program. It's it's all about finding what your interest is mm-hmm. as soon as you can. Um, and and I work with a lot of younger um, younger I guess teenagers graduating from college. Oh, that's cool. It is really that would have cool. been really helpful. Right, you know, mm-hmm. and again, which is why I was like, I guess I should be a therapist here, um, to give my to give people what I didn't have. Mm. But um, it's super interesting to give them these avenues and say you don't have to go to college. 
And their parents, of course, are like, what? I'm like, yeah. I'm not saying they don't have to get a trade or go to school. Like they told my son he didn't have to go to school. Right. No, there are so many different ways where you can make the same amount of money and save money and time. Yeah. And capitalize on that enthusiasm and that energy that you have when you're leaving high school or when yeah. you're, you know. And enjoy your life. Basically. And you don't have to have a bad life if you don't go to college. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to have a bad life if you don't go to grad school. It's just like the way, it's like societal constructs that were like, you have to do this and then this and then this and then you work and then you die. Right. Mm-mm. It's not. No. Because the thing is, in the event of a disability, all that will change. Ooh. So if you were in college mm-hmm. and you become disabled, say you play baseball and somebody yeah, throws a ball and like that. nails. <laughs> like why did you choose baseball for me? I had this, well, there's a, there's a memory of this guy in college and he was at bat and the pitcher nailed him in the back of the head. <gasps> yeah. TBI mm-hmm. immediately uh, it affected his speech, caused um Bouts of anger that were uncontrollable, um, memory issues. Life changing. Right. 180. You're going to school for your MBA or to get your MBA, and now you have this disability. So everything that you thought you were planning is so you have to create an unconventional path to getting to your final career. If somebody who has a disability and is struggling with these things can figure that out and make it work, why can't somebody who has everything, their mental and physical facilities, mm-hmm. working in perfect order? Why can't they get to that point? That's kind of the way I look at it. I'm like, we all have this ability. I've worked with people that I've seen accomplish incredible feats through adversity. So to see somebody else say that, well, this is how it's supposed to go. Mm. No, yeah. I, I, I don't believe you. And even like with just disabilities themselves, people, like we view them as you're missing something or like you're some, there's something that is wrong with you. But like, what if it's just, human variability that you have these different things like we all have different things we're all different and honestly sometimes it takes that like breaking point that that injury or that trauma that life change to put you on a much better path it might be way different than you were expecting but it's it's always interesting like talking with with people like you um not like that you like got hit in the head like you had a breaking point yes and it, it sounds like most people that become, like, that are entrepreneurs, that create their own business, they get to the point where they're like, I can't digest this any longer. Right. And it makes me wonder, like, how many people are like that out there feeling that way, and then how many people just continue to digest it and feel like crap all the time. You start to be able to tell when mm-hmm. you're in the field a lot, you know, when people are just tired of work. They just look really beat down. Have you ever been on vacation with somebody and they're on vacation at like a tropical island and they're just like lit up and happy and, and then they leave and they get back home and it's like mm. uh, back to it right back to reality I've met that person and I've met a person who likes their job and leaves or works every day of their job like they're on vacation and goes to vacation and they don't change it's like okay I'm watching that person. Yeah. I'm watching how you operate and how you move because something about what the way that you constructed your life has made this enjoyable on a daily basis. And it could be because that's their passion and what they love to do. But I think it's more or less the time that they can allot themselves mentally and socially, you know, with their family and friends, you know, to to realize what is important. Um, it's such a journey and I 
I'm going to continue to grow in it. You know, I'm hoping to, you know, grow the business and, you know, reach more people, um, develop some documents or, you know, platforms that mm-hmm. people can use to, you know, utilize whenever they're in a position and they're stuck. And they're like, how can I grow there? Um, that's to come. And I think that that's really going to, you know, give people some, a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. How do we start to create a better, like, how do we start to construct a better life, a better work-life balance? I would say the first thing is start with your sleep. Yes. Number one, start with your sleep, man. Like, <laughs> just sleep. And, like, get a good regimen and pattern of sleeping. Um, sometimes it's difficult. I'm about to have a kid. So um, everything's gonna change again, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I've got to realize that you know you got to hit REM, REM, you know REM sleep. I've got to hit that. So my goal is to at least hit that <laughs> three to four times a day if I have to break up my sleep, mm. you know. But I need this many hours a day, no matter when I get it. Um, Non-negotiable. Exactly. My wife's taught me that because she is a good sleeper. She's very skilled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does get to the point where it becomes a skill, right? Yeah. And she'll wake up refreshed. And I'm like, I hate you. No. <laughs> Why can you? How, can, how do you do that? You what? Sleep? Because my mind's racing. Yeah. If you can't tell by the way I've been talking this entire no. time. But it's a it's a pro and a con, like to have your mind racing. Because I found this like in myself, and also like the people that I work with, like doing what we do and doing what you do. Like you're trying to solve the the problems of our society, like the human existential why are we doing things the way that we are doing them and how can we change them it's i always take it back and i don't mean to discount like accountants or people that do taxes but to me it it seems like you close the computer and you go home and you you think about something else for us for you it sounds like you are always thinking about these things and it's one reason is that you love it and that you're passionate about it and that it fuels you, but then it also becomes this thing that kind of can take over mm-hmm. and it's hard to shut off mm-hmm. because it's just this problem that's never solved. And it's, right. you're doing these things, which causes this, which now you get feedback and you have to reassess and you're meeting these people. And it's just this cycle of like, we're all trying to push each other in a different direction. And like, we are pretty far from that, right. but it's, it's also exciting. And so it's, but it's like, how do we turn it off? Because we have to also take that time. I think, I think what's, what's been most helpful for myself and some of the people I work with is meeting others that are like you. Because when you realize that other people think the way you think or move the way you move, you start to, you know, see them in different stages. Like the person that has it all, like kind of, kind of figured out. And you're like, okay, I like your model. And then you see somebody below them that's almost there. And then somebody below them. And you're down here. So you have like steps Mm -hmm. that you can take to get better at it. Or you can adapt pieces of what they have and learn from them how to do it. You know, um, that kind of solves a lot of that stress. But sleep is the most important thing for everybody. And then once you have the sleep, um, the calendar. Um, I do time analysis with my clients. And I try to get them, it's because most of them are already incredibly busy, but I try to get them to... For a day, right? I would say like two days, three days would be nice. But if I get at least two days out of them, of them writing down what they're doing each hour. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, give them the ability to classify them into ter- certain um, subjects. You know, like meetings, phone calls, emails, things like that. 
And then I'll put it into an Excel spreadsheet. I'll categorize all of them. And then we'll say, this is how much time you're spending doing this. This is how much time you're spending doing this. You know, where would be the place you would be able to put some sleep or free time with your family? Like, how does that fit in? And it's enlightening to that person how much time they're spending on certain activities and things that they can cut out, things they can put in. It's super simple, but it's something to start the process of that therapeutic relationship whenever, whenever when the coaching's involved. You mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy. Sure. Can you tell me a little bit about that, like what that even is? So basically, it's the ability to restructure the way that you perceive the world. Um, you want to help them to understand what they're envisioning in their current life, whatever they're experiencing, um, the emotions that are associated with it, the issues that they're having behind it, and then you you talk about it, you talk it out, you you develop you know different ways of acknowledging the behavioral responses to those events and then you try and restructure and change the way that they perceive um, those events and the way that they respond to those events. So for instance, if there's a, a person at work that's just getting up under your skin and you and that person have this really, the, these opposing viewpoints about how to drink water from the water fountain, I don't know. <laughs> like that person eating crackers is right you know but you have this irrational emotional response to what they're doing and you're just struggling with the way you feel the way you're experiencing your emotions like this is making me upset how he's drinking from that water Mm -hmm. why is that making you upset what about that is causing you that much stress and then you dig you know, did that person do something to you? Is the way that they act? Did something happen to you at the water fountain? Do you not like water? <laughs> what do you have against water fountains? <laughs> exactly. So all those things you explore, and then you help them to understand what that fountain really is. Like, this is mm. just a water fountain, and it's just a person. And different people experience those things differently, but you just want to try and correct or address mm. irrational thoughts and emotions and put it in a format to whereas that person can step back and say, okay, I need to restructure the way I'm looking at this. To be aware of what they're, yeah, how they're perceiving their situation. Perception is everything, everything. When you work with someone that's not like with an agency, like if I call you, I'm like, hey, Chris, I need help. What is that process like? Like how often are we meeting? Do you have a typical like a cadence that you prefer with that? So or for agencies or individuals? Like for agencies. me, like an um, individual. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if an individual calls... Um, you know, I try to be as welcoming as possible um, on the phone because it's already awkward calling somebody to talk about your problems or What issues. do people say? You're like, how can I help you? And they're like... Mm. Well, I'm, <laughs> I, I first start off and it's like, hey, this is Christopher Brigman speaking uh, balance consulting and counseling. You know, what can I do for you? And most of the time they're like, um, I'm looking for a counselor. I'm thinking this is something I might want to do. Either they've done it or they've never done it before. They're like, I'm just kind of a little... I don't know. And I'm like, let me just tell you a bit about myself, you know. <laughs> and I, I kind of give them a little bit of a spiel about what I've done. And, like, I am licensed. I do have certifications. Um, I don't accept insurance. <laughs> there it is. The big question. The right. big three. Um, and, you know, I let them know, like, you know, hey, if I'm not the person that can help you through this, I will help you find somebody. Because I remember what it was like being not able to find a person that fits you. Um, I don't mind if you don't work with me. I don't care, you know, but I am 
you know, more than happy to say, I know a counselor that I think you would like. And most of the time that, if, if not, builds trust in them and who I am as a person. And if they find somebody, who, this guy Chris will work with you really good. Like he's, he helped me out find this person. You know, mm-hmm. that's all I'm trying to do is just translate information. You know, part of what I love about the therapeutic side of things is the psychoeducational part. So, you know, researching various terms and techniques and sending them and almost teaching the client mm-hmm. about like, this is what this is. You know, mindfulness training, meditation. This is how this applies and can help you in certain areas. And here are the statistics behind it. If you want to look, some people are like on it mm-hmm. when it comes to that. And when they come back at me and they say, you know what? I, I remembered something you said three days ago and it worked. And I was like, really? Okay. All right. What'd you do? And they're like, I did this thing. I'm like, how'd it go? And he tells them, I'm like, yes. I'm, I'm a big cheerleader. Oh, yeah. I'm huge. I'm a, my, my wife gets mad at me about it. I mean, I remain unbi- uh, unbiased during the sessions. But <laughs> if somebody does something that's just like, you killed it, I'm letting them know how mm-hmm. big this is. Because I'm like, I have seen the journey from starting therapy and finishing therapy. Yes. And so many clients. So when I see you make a jump at something, I'm letting you know, this is, you did it. You have like an objective view. And because I find that people are like, we don't like to give ourselves a lot of credit. We don't like to be proud of ourselves. And they're like, oh, I don't know if this is an improvement. And to have someone that's like a genuine, not just like a, you're doing great, but like, do you see this improvement that you've made? Sure. Like, look at this objective measure. And just to, to show them the wins right. and to show them how they are progressing. Because I think as humans, we're just like, oh, if anything's getting any better like blah 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 and then to have someone tell you that you should be proud of yourself and it's then, huge yeah it, it's hard not to go home and like celebrate those things and be like this client did this and I'm so excited and no. it's also always like do you ever still get surprised when people like they either they improve they get better they feel better something that you tell them works because I'm still not even surprised I don't know how to describe it proud yeah and it kind of like validates what you do it's like oh i am helping people well the 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 clients i work with um when they do make those those leaps and or those those changes or those turns to go in the right direction i have a supervisor you know i do my hours my supervision hours and that's who i bleed all this out to most of the time um but i'm like believe what happened and as a therapist that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to be able to share with somebody so they can Mm -hmm. help guide you you know a more experienced therapist um by the way, every therapist has a therapist. Every coach to have a coach. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I tell her what I experienced. I tell her what's going on. And she's like, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I'm like, is that supposed to happen? She's like, yes. Yeah. The stuff I do works. <laughs> right, right. And and the big things that happen, you know, that, you know, you know, I've, I've you know, asked her for advice on and just insight on how she would approach the situation. Mm-hmm. She, you know, reports back and she goes, how, you know, she's like, she's interested. How did it go? How did it go? And I'm like, it worked, it worked. Those are the things we really celebrate. But beginning, oh yeah, every little success. Like when a client called me back, mm. I was like, oh, yeah. second appointment. You know, yeah. I was super, because I like working with people and letting them vent. Every person is like a book to me. There's just so many chapters. There's so many twists and turns. You don't know how it's going to end. You know, you just keep reading and you keep... It's like those Harry Potter books. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I love so much. I know. Oh, man. But, yeah, no, it's it's such a interesting and 
lively occupation. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things going on. You are on their journey. Definitely. You're like, all right, let's do this. We're going to do this together. Every up and down. Oh, my gosh. The empathy required is... That is where you have to protect your time. That's what space. I was going to ask you next, and you knew it. Yeah. yeah. How do you do that? that. Um, I, I remain honest. Um, I don't... Because the, the goal is not to respond too much to a certain situation, you know, because the person doesn't want to feel judged, you know, mm-hmm. so you have to listen and let them get everything out. But if it's something that's bad, you, whoa, you acknowledge if it was good or bad. And for me, it helps doing that because I'm not holding that emotion in until I get off the phone and I'm like sitting in my head like, oh my God, what did I hear? You know, if, if it's something that serious, you... You, you empathize with them you, you feel with them mm. because when you're, when you're expressing those emotions you're you're expelling them they're not resting in you anymore mm. you know when you're not like you're not cold right right yeah you're not like expressionless and, and blank I, I went to a therapist a few years ago and he was like you'll be surprised but like I think there was one thing that I said that he started tearing up and he was like I think he apologized for it at first and then he was like actually no like this is something that like I have emotions too and I like to like your story resonates with me and like I can't pretend that no. the patient sitting across from me that those things like don't make me feel a certain way right. like you're why would talking. I just be this blank wall you're not talking to Siri no God. <laughs> right. Alexa right right oh wait is she in here no we actually don't have Alexa okay, in here right. yeah okay. I was about to say you say that kind of loud nah <laughs> probably like miles away and Alexa was just like how can I help you <laughs> but yeah it's just it, it's so much more enjoyable when you go on the journey mm-hmm. with them. You know, because at the end of the call, you sometimes you don't end happy. Mm. You know, you end pondering or you end inquisitive because you want that person to do a little bit of research before the next session. Like, is he telling the truth? Is he? You know, like, you, you want that sometimes. But most of the times, you want to end on, yeah, we did some good work today. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, and you, I recap. I'm like, we talked about A, B, C, and D. And do you remember how C is applying to this? And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I see that. I see that now. And then the next time we speak, they're more likely to remember those four points with the recap. And they're more likely to share even more mm-hmm. because you remember. And they're like, I'm talking to somebody that knows who I am. And they can, it, it's so funny. In the program that I was in, where I did my uh, first supervision at clinical hours, you have to train yourself to remember certain key words and gems and and things, you know, that people will say that are important later in the Mm. discussion. And, I mean, you do that for like a year or two. So, like, now it's like in my head. So you'll say something and I'm like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. I'm not forgetting that. Yeah. And it'll be three or four sessions later and I'll mention something and that person's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I remember that. Mm -hmm. And the best part about it now is that I'm able to do it without notes. Mm. Like I want to, I mean, I, I write notes, but in the beginning, I was writing freaking bio or autobiographies. Man, I was like, okay, <laughs> what else? Yeah. Now it's like yeah. I can hit like a sentence, and that sentence will just take my mind mm. down a path, and I'm like, okay, they said this before, and this, and this. How? And I'm doing like the math, I guess you could call mm-hmm. it almost. Um, it is a skill. Like, yeah. it is not just like, oh, you have a good memory. It's something that you get. You have to get good at. You got to train for it. You definitely got to train for it. But now, like, it just, 
makes conversations so much mm-hmm. easier. They're almost effortless. Well, and then they're like, oh, you remember that. Like, you care. It just mm-hmm. opens up this whole new avenue of like, yeah, I am here for you. I do care for you. Yeah. I do have your your best interest. And I remember this. Like, when you remember the little things, you can see people just light up. Like, oh, yeah. oh you remembered that. People like, yeah, we care. Yeah, we an hour together, like, of course. The only thing about the memory is that you take up space mm. in your mind. So you have to kind of pump and dump. You know, yeah. basically. So you gotta, you know, pump your mind full of this information about this person, encode it, and then put it—not really dump—put it in a place that you can access it later. Mm-hmm. And that's your notes, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I I like being able to work with somebody, think about what they've talked about, and then do research in a therapeutic fashion that reminds me of different techniques and strategies. Because you're not going to remember every type of um, approach, mm-hmm. you know, technique from. It's like, no, I do research and I read over and over again. And sometimes you get it wrong, you know? But the whole point about it is to be, is to act in beneficence, not to cause any type of harm to the client. Mm -hmm. So you're just constantly trying to, like, just stretch your mind just a little bit more and learn a little bit more. It is fatiguing. It's not a... It's not an unstimulating job. Like, it's definitely very... um, It's just intellectually, like, challenging. Definitely. It's not just like entering the numbers because it's people mm-hmm. and people are so complex and it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's complex. It's multifactorial Definitely. for sure. So how can our listeners find you and your business? Sure. Um, so I am on psychology today. Um, they can search Christopher Brigman and I'll come up there. That's where all my licensures are. Um, I am also on good therapy. Um, mm. that's another site that's a little newer, um, it's actually, I think it's native to like South Carolina too. So I'm on there. Um, and then you can Google me. I've written a couple of articles. Um, there was a, a small um, article I wrote for the Charleston paper that's online that you, if you Google me, you'll see. Um, I've done a couple of talks for colleges that you'll see. And then the last place would be my website, um, balanceconsultingcounseling.com. So all the words full. Balance consulting mm-hmm. counseling. Not and don't make yeah no and yeah no and yeah I when I got my um, SEO to kind of work out work mm-hmm. it out for me she's like oh wow you're using all the letters all of them <laughs> yes. Yes. every keyword you're fine all right Chris thank you so much thank this you. has been incredible appreciate it yes everyone thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to Instagram. Find us at Healthy Charleston. Leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.